Okay, ladies and gentlemen, another beautiful Wednesday to be alive. Can't really hear Tim. Yeah. Episode 95 coming up here. Let's grab ourselves a refreshment. Get that posture cranked up. up our judgments out there how about that I like that okay we got a great show planned for you here uh episode 95 uh we got a bunch of good to- good topics to talk about uh this book of psychology with big ideas simply explained uh, i want to go into that a little bit uh but first my bookie we've all been there before a weekend trip to the casino canceled because real life came calling well my bookie's new and improved online casino is here to change the game dive into a truly realistic casino experience featuring the latest in slots progressive jackpots and live dealer action all from the comfort of your own home take advantage of weekly blackjack tournaments and a brand new collection of high-end games for a chance at real cash rewards the my bookie casino provides a las vegas experience when the action's in your hand and the best part is you you don't even need to wear pants. Your adventure at MyBookie Casino begins today with a generous sign-up bonus using promo code REDHAWK, all caps. That's promo code REDHAWK to secure yourself a sweet deposit de bonus. And that's not all because their revamped loyalty program ensures that you'll be showered with rewards, including free spins, cashback offers, and a host of exclusive VIP perks. The more you play, the more you win. Play anytime, anywhere with the MyBookie Casino. Links in the bio. And also, we got a free newsletter for you every week. It's the gems that stick out from my podcast, uh, The Timbo Sugar Show, what I'm reading lately, um, MMA, kind of combat sports, sports psychology type stuff, and it's free. So the link's in the bio. Click it, put in your email in, and you'll get one weekly newsletter, simple, easy newsletter each week. So we're here with my my good friend and uh, one of the coaches of The Sugar Show, kind of a mentor to me and Sugar. Uh, Brandon Harris, been on multiple times before. Uh, good to see you again, brother. And yes, uh, last night, Mariah's, we had a little get together at our house, and I made some elk burgers. Elk burgers, we had a little bit of fruit. We went on a little walk. Elk burgers turned out not too bad, didn't they? They're awesome, man. Yeah. Because usually, usually you, you eat the elk and shit, and it's a, sometimes a little bit gamey. Yeah, I think for the most part, for me, it's coming from sprouts and things like that. And I don't mind gamey meat, but your burgers were second to none. They're bomb. Yeah, they're straight from the Montana hill. They literally, my dad kills it, brings it to his garage, dissects it, and then he sends it to me. So that's, did you guys wake up with good sized boners? Did you, Jay? Did you? I always do, but do you? it was an extra, little extra big yeah, because stiff. of that, that meat. Yeah, that meat's good. I think when it's gamey, I think that's 
I wonder why that is. I think maybe it's because it got prepared wrong. Maybe they didn't add enough fat to it, or I'm not exactly sure. Or Mariah was saying that if the blood isn't drained right away or or oh. immediately, I believe that could play into the gaminess. So how oh, that it, makes how sense? It, how it's prepared? That would that would make sense. So you've had a business now. You've been running the PFS Premier Fitness Systems for how many years? Thirteen. 13 years holy smokes what in those 13 years was the most stressful time mm, covid was definitely a, a taxing period just not knowing what to i mean you know i think we're always trying to be aware of our expectations but that was a completely unknown not knowing if we were going to shut down and really just trying to to pivot to be able to continue to make money earn revenue and and take care of our employees, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But got through that. Um, I think it's always staff. It's always having the right people around. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked about that. It's like take care of the people hey Brandon, that are really can you, good. Can you uh, talk to the blue? Sorry. Are yep. you good? Yeah, take care of the people that you have that do a good job, that type of stuff. But um, yeah, employees and, and people in general can be, can be difficult. Yeah. And now recently you just moved in with Chelsea – and uh it's been going good you say it is man we're three years together or close to that she always gives me crap about that but almost three years and and i mean i think you guys know but she met me through this through the mm -hmm. podcast which is really cool so yeah three years together it's going good and i'm excited for the future i think that's what a lot of people make mistakes they maybe have a good partner a partner that they a girlfriend or whatever it is and they move in pretty quick just to save money mm -hmm. or whatever it is and then just shit fucking goes south and blows up yeah mariah and i waited probably because i was traveling a lot too but we didn't live with together for five years mm -hmm. five plus years and i think that was probably good yeah I'd, i admire that about her she's she's been very good at um sticking to her goals and you know, one of those was she wanted to live by herself. She really, um, that was very important to her, which I think is, is important. It is important for somebody to go through that and to experience what it's like to be on their own. And, and she's always been very, very focused and very uh, goal driven. I respect that about her as a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the benefits of living with a partner, it's just like nice waking up with someone. It's nice going to bed with someone. It's nice cooking and eating together. Um, the struggles, what kind of struggles you guys run into? I mean, I mean, normal stuff. I go, I mean, go back to that. I think it's, it, it's important that we are never, our happiness is never based off of somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we're, you know, being very dependent or attached to another person, that's going to create hurdles in a relationship. Um, I mean, so much of our success in, as, a, in, as a couple, I think, is from both of our embracing of growth, you know, and, and um, cultivating reflection on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think, I mean, I've been better as a, as a person, as a partner, and she's always been really good at that. So normal hurdles man where you're just you just get you know you get flustered or you get you get emotional um but yeah we've we've done pretty good with that that's sweet
That's sweet. I want to go over a couple things in this uh, this book here. This is the Big Ideas Explained. It's a full uh, psychology book. It's a pretty thick book, and it's it's like it's hundreds of different psychologists, and they've they dedicated their lives to certain just topics in psychology. And then it talks about kind of what they are. And this one was pretty interesting. Where did you, where does that book, who suggested that book? Or Rob Emerson, when he came on here, he yeah. g- gave me this okay. book. And it's, it's pretty interesting. This guy's Mahali Shizent Mihalala. Mm. So he's a Russian guy. I don't know. Maybe that's Russian. Maybe it's not. He was born in 1934 and he's still living. He's an old fart now. And he, he says, ecstasy is a step into an alternative universe. And his approach, this was positive psychology. This was his study. When we engage in an activity that we enjoy and that gives enough to challenge our skills, we become absorbed in that activity and reach a state of flow in which four things happen. We are totally focused. We feel a sense of serenity. We feel a sense of timelessness. We have a feeling of inner clarity. Above all, we are not conscious of ourselves or the world around us. Flow is a similar state to ecstasy. So read, read the guy's name again. Mihaly. Yeah. So remember the book I gave you, Flow? That's the same author. That's his book. Yeah, so that dude's the grandfather, considered to be like the grandfather of, of the concept of flow. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which I'm, is another good book that's it's, it's a little heavy. It's a little... You know, maybe somewhat esoteric in a sense, but I think it's a good it's a good read to start to grasp that concept. Yeah, in, in that book, I kind of bounced around. I went towards kind of the middle of the book and then the end of the book, and there was just a bunch of shit that I really loved in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks about the state of ex- ecstasy. People experiencing flow also describe feeling of timelessness, clarity, serenity, which led to this guy to liken it to a state of ecstasy mm. a major part of the enjoyment of flow is the sense of being outside everyday reality totally separated from the cares and worries of ordinary life um this guy said felt flow felt is a key to optimal enjoyment of any activity and consequent consequently to fulfilling life i think that's why a lot of people enjoy enjoy jujitsu mm-hmm Enjoy jujitsu because it's enough to challenge you. It doesn't get boring. And uh, he says, he says in this one here, during cognitive revolution, there was a growing movement in clinical psychology away from seeing patients slowly in terms of their disorder towards a holistic humanist, humanistic approach. Carl Rogers were beginning to think about what constituted a good and happy life. Rather than merely alleviating the misery of depression and anxiety from this grew a movement of positive psychology which, which concentrated on finding ways to achieve a good and happy life. And he talks about if it's too easy, you'll get bored, so you can't have flow. And if it's too crazy hard and it scares you, then you're going to have anxiety about it, and then you're not going to be able to reach that flow state. Mm-hmm. So finding things that you're able to reach that in. I wonder how many people go through life and never even get a feel what that feels like ever. I'd say a lot, man. I mean, think of think of just as as humans, how important it is for us to have some type of physical practice. Like that's how we evolved. But in our modern worlds, most people go through their day to day without any any physical challenge. I think if I think of this, I've thought of this recently a lot, is this idea of this spectrum of how people interact with struggles. And the first step would be, or the most common is push it away. Don't even do it. 
you know, they, they want to do jujitsu, but they're not, I'm just not going to do that. And they'll probably lie to themselves, give reasons why they can't do it or they won't do it. They're too busy or whatever. And then in the middle, it's like, we just, just endure struggles. This is where I think a lot of people exist where they'll just get through it, right? They're just surviving a class better than pushing it away, but they're not fully opening to their experience, which would be the flow state where it's just, they, they're just experiencing it they're even if it's hard they're letting it be hard they're open to it and i and in my in sports performance you see that but i think something like jujitsu you would be able to speak to this is that somebody that is just open to the struggle that welcomes it that's that's not going to deny that it's you know it is hard but they like that and they're open to it they tend to progress quicker that's that's like that last state yeah right Mm -hmm. a cold plunge rather than just getting in and surviving it you're like fuck it it's cold i i'm gonna i'm gonna welcome it i'm gonna let it be cold yeah and that aspect of someone's life is so important having struggle having physical things that are difficult that we're progressing through where we can just lose ourselves mm -hmm. in the moment yeah and then you just don't start just building up problems that aren't even fucking there but then he says but how can flow be achieved study cases of people who regularly reached this ecstatic state and realized that it always occurred when the challenge of an activity matched a person's skills the task was doable but also extended their capabilities and demanded total concentration only a reasonable balance of ability and diff difficulty could lead to flow if someone's skills were not up to the task this led to anxiety and if the task was too easily done it led to boredom or apathy mm. So that's some interesting stuff there. If you find things that you're just immersed in and they literally just bring you right in the moment and you don't think about anything, you don't think about your phone, you don't think about what problems you have, you don't think about anything, you're just able to be in the moment with whatever you're doing, you're pretty lucky. What, so what is it like for you when you are, you're grappling with somebody that is close to your level? Are you able, you're, I imagine most of the practice, you're just letting your your skills, your instincts take over. You don't necessarily have to think about what you're going to do. It's just happening, mm -hmm. right? But a less of a, in that example, a less of a jujitsu practitioner probably has to think about how they're going to interact with certain situations if a person is you know, really good or better than them. They're, they're actually having to process what they're going to do next. I mean, with someone as good as me or even better than me, I, I definitely got to think. I mean, I got to be, I got to be, but I got to think about just pure jujitsu, where to distribute my weight um, and, and stuff like that. If I'm going with someone who's not near as good as me, I could literally close my eyes and just kind of like, I don't have to think. I could just sweep them, sweep them, pass the guard, take the back, but just whatever. Would you describe um, that though with the person that's really good that it's almost like more of a macro feel? It's m almost more... You don't necessarily have to think about the specific move. It's just there. Like you are thinking about jujitsu, but it's mm -hmm. more of a. Yeah. Reaction. Yeah. Just reacting to it. Yeah, for sure. Because when people talk about flow, it's like, it's not like you're not thinking, right? It's just, you're immersed in that activity. Mm -hmm. Only that activity yeah. concentrated just on that. Yeah. And there's moments where, I where I, there's moments where you just be completely lost, but you're still, in, you're still thinking. We're always thinking you're just less less attached or probably identified with the the thinking it's just it's it's flowing 
I, I think of flow a little different. I think of flow not necessarily as this this state we have to enter, but just an interaction with our, our moment-to-moment experience. I can be flowing right now if I am open to the experience, if I'm not fighting it, mm-hmm. if I'm not trying to sound a certain way or say something smart and I'm just being myself, I can have more of a flow with my experience. And I think we can do that when we're cooking burgers, when we're having a conversation, when we're, I, th- I think it's, I think it's something we can always access when we're just authentically with ourselves and we're not leaning into the next moment. I think most people are constantly leaning into the next moment, thinking about what they're going to say, how they're, you know, right. As opposed to just being right where we are. Mm-hmm. And then we're in more of a flow with our experience. Yeah. I think, I think, it's so fucking hard these days to do that, especially with those phones. Like mm-hmm. those phones are always there and just like you get on those phones and you're into someone else's life, you're into whatever you're into, all the shit's going on. So even when you're cooking dinner or something to just be there and think about the foods and think about how thankful you are, where the foods came from, where the utensils came from and just being in the moment and stuff, I think that's gonna get harder and harder for people to do unless they study and learn about flow and learn about meditation, I almost mm-hmm. think. yeah. So this is the next one, uh, page 200. Happy people are extremely social. This is a uh, Martin Seligman, 1942 and still alive now. There are three kinds of a happy life, he says. The good life, pursuing personal growth and achieving flow. The meaningful life, acting in the service of something greater than yourself. And both those can lead to, these bring lasting happiness, but this happiness cannot be achieved without social relationships. And then the third one, the pleasant life, socializing and seeking pleasure. Social relationships do not guarantee high happiness, but it does not appear to occur without them. Good social relationships are like food and thermoregulation, universally important to human mood. So that's interesting. This, it's always impressive for me, for people, even like Chelsea. Chelsea's going, where's she going? She's going to Spain. She is leaving for Spain on Sunday. So she's legit leaving to Spain by herself. And does she have friends there? She does. So she has a few friends there, but she's going to live by herself. Yeah. So that's impressive when people can move to a new city. And she's only going for a few months, but you, you can move to a new city and just trying to fit in and trying to become happy and trying to find a group of people to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very social. I mean, I'm... I think it's a spectrum, right? I think I would agree that relationships and, and social circles are very important. I think for me, speaking from my experience, I don't, I need a few good people in my life. I want depth, a handful of people. I don't need a, you know, I don't need to have a hundred people in my life. She's the type of person that is drawn towards more people, having more interaction, more social connections. So I think it's definitely a spectrum and would you say you're a in, introverted person almost? more again spectrum we label these things and we we create these these words that have definitions and that we attach to certain things i think it's, just, it's always a spectrum scale to one to ten yeah i'm not a one say i'm crazy introverted but i do enjoy depth and you know deep interaction with people you put me in 
a wedding, let's just say, it's like, gosh, when it's just surface, 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 it's hard to find depth. I don't, I'm not drawn to that. I've had to yeah, be yeah. more open to that. Yeah, what's the fucking weather? Man, the weather's been great. You like your job? Yeah, I fucking love it. I hate that kind of shit, dude. Yeah. It's like I'd rather sit in my couch and think about the shit I want to watch or think about the stuff I want to think about and watch the shit I want to watch. I'm a homebody too, but I also do like being around people, but I mm -hmm. like that mixture. But if I could pick, hey, you want to go out to the bar and have some drinks with some with some friends or sit at home with your dogs, sit at home with my dogs. I'm probably picking that yeah. nine out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. um, so he talks about here, happy lives. Sligman noticed that extremely happy, fulfilled people tend to get on with others and enjoy company. They seem to lead what he called the pleasant life. One of the three distinct types of a happy life that he identified the others being the good life and the meaningful life, the pleasant life or seeking as much pleasure, pleasure as possible appeared to bring happiness through Seligman found his ways often short-lived less obviously the good life or being successfully engaged in relationships work and play gave a deeper more lasting happiness similarly the meaningful life or acting in the service of others or something bigger than oneself led to great satisfaction and fulfillment and i think that's where we're pretty lucky you, you get to do that being a trainer and i get to do that being a trainer too and it just Something about it just feels good. Mm. Yeah, these are all models, right? People have made up these man-made models of constructing like what hap what is happiness. And I think there's no such thing as a right model. They're just better thought out ones. So it's, it's you know, you, we read two examples that are talking about similar things that are slightly different, right? It's, it's again, it's a man-made model of what happiness is made up of and seems like an intelligent one but i wouldn't say it's the it's necessarily the only way to think about it mm -hmm. right the so okay yeah because he said there's, there's the three kinds the yep. good life the uh the pursuing personal growth and achieving flow the meaningful one acting in service to others other people and then the pleasant life socializing and seeking pleasure okay and then he said siegman also observed that good and meaningful lifestyles both involve activities that has his colleague describing flow or deep mental engagement the pleasant life clearly does not involve flow but seligman did find that all the extremely happy people he studied were also very sociable and in a relationship he concluded that social relationships do not guarantee high happiness but it does not appear to occur without them a good and meaningful life may bring eudaimonia but having a pleasant life as well intensify whatever happiness you achieve hmm yeah, I wonder if there's people out there that are just single and don't really have relationships with other people that are truly happy. I'm sure there is. Yeah, there probably are. So that's always interesting shit. Is that a book that you, you'll sit down and just read, kind of go through it, or you, you'll jump around and find things that are interesting to you? I just... uh. I just flip open, flip open a page, read it, and I'm like, if it kind of interests me at all, like, damn why do people think this way or whatever I'll, I'll keep reading it and this isn't like a long boring ass book it talks about the dates that they thought of these things and then they put in i don't know i just kind of bounce around mm. so it's kind of the history of psychology yeah yep. yeah exactly the history of psychology what is the book called Adam? it's just called the psychology book big ideas simply explained mm. so this one this one here out this morning the family factor the, or the family this is a virginia satire she died in 1988 and uh 
The family is the factory where people are made. We learn to react in certain ways to, mem to the members of our family. It leads to these reactions shape a role that we adopt, especially when under stress. This role may overwhelm our authentic self and be taking with us into adulthood. The family is the factory where people are made. And then she talks about all these different roles. Um, by, by knowing how to heal the family, I know how to heal the world. She talks about these different roles that in the family household. It's kind of interesting one too. But you forget about that. When people are doing dumb shit, when people are acting a certain way or being fucking retards, it's like they were probably built in a shitty factory. Mm -hmm. A shitty factory with shitty parents who probably didn't love them that much. Maybe. Okay, we'll go to another one here. 152. This one talk, talks about, this is Boris Cyrillink, 1937. He's still alive today. Our history does not determine our destiny. Bad things happen, and you can feel crushed and in, inadequate and continue to suffer, or you can accept the challenge and move forward with your life. Mm -hmm. Resilience is a person's ability to grow in the face of terrible problems. It's so, I, I, like, and, I, and I wonder if that comes from the fact you're made from too, or if it's just genes sometimes, because you see some people, bad thing can happen, and it'll skyrocket them to just grow more, or bad things will happen, and then just fucking spiral downhill. Mishmash, mm, nature, nurture. I mean, I, I tend to think of things through the model of mindfulness, right? That's like my, I, I'm drawn to that. And so within that framework, there's the idea that suffering only exists in the mind. Happiness only exists in the mind. So everything that we go through gets filtered through our, through a layer of, of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So if we perceive something as difficult, shitty, sucks, like it's going to suck. If we can perceive it as a hurdle to overcome, right? It's the same event, but the perception of the event is completely different like that's a choice and that can be conditioned but if you came from a family that that looked at every event that was difficult as this this shitty you know luck like that you're probably gonna that's the probably the the way you're gonna see things as well not to not to say that that person can't overcome that perspective mm -hmm. but right you're a you model what you see yeah right and when you're around kids, I mean, think think of Elena. Like you see kids, and you see how they're just soaking up the environment, and they're modeling their parents, and what they're around gets just injected into their everything. Mm -hmm. Not to say people can't overcome a shitty start, but I would say it's rare, especially because the longer that goes on, the more you just adapt like the behavior of people around you. Yeah. And you just, you're just acting out on shit and you're like, I don't even know why I'm acting out on the shit. Well, maybe it was the way your dad, your dad talked to your mom when you were three years old and you don't remember that, but that's engraved in your brain somehow. So I wonder like what kind of, like what it would be called, not just a psychologist can't be just called a psychologist where you'd go to them and try to rewire your programming. Yeah, Psychoanalyst yeah, or something. I mean, I think a psychologist would work would work with you on that and it, then it would depend on what's their framework like i've i've done i've worked with a psychologist i've i've done counseling so does this person you're sitting down with like what model in that book did they base their practice off of 
right? They're, they're, you know, they've got a degree, they've got a master, whatever, maybe a doctorate in that. I'm assuming, you know, a person that's a psychologist, I think it's a PhD, but they're, they're embracing some model, right? As a, as a black belt, you have a, you have a certain model that you've based your teaching around and then you've made your own, yeah. right? I mean, Takino is your um, professor, professor, yeah. but you're very different than him, mm -hmm. right? But your basis comes from, I mean, a huge piece comes from him and then all your other coaches and then you make it your own. I think it's the same thing with any, a psychologist or a coach that a good coach is going to, is going to have a wide, a wide base of tools to base their model off of, mm -hmm. right? And it'd be the same as that. Like what, you know, what model is the psychologist going off of? How do they view the human? How do they you view the conditioning of the human? Mm -hmm. Where are they going to try to steer somebody? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's like, yeah, a big part of the jujitsu comes from Takino and then just a big part of it comes from other coaches and just previous experiences in my life. For yeah. sure. This one's called, uh, this is Gordon H. Bauer, and he says, events and emotions are stored in your memory together. When we're in a happy mood, we tend to store in, in memory the positive things that happen because we pay more attention to the information that agrees with our mood. Events and emotion are stored in memory together. When we're happy, we find it easier to recall memories from a happy time. When we are in unha unhappy mood, we tend to store in memory the negative things that happened because we pay more attention to the information that agrees with the mood again. Mm. When we are unhappy, we find it easier to recall memories from an unhappy time. Because mm. I feel like there was a lot of unhappy memories for me in high school, but when I think back to it, I think of all the good memories and the good pussy I got back then. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but you're, a ha you're a happy person. Have you all, you've probably always been that way. So maybe that is, I, I'd be, right? Like maybe you're just innately more of a, happy person and mm -hmm. you tend to see the the good stuff so therefore you recall the i don't know i've never i i've never read that before but that seems to make sense mm -hmm. yeah so okay sweet we'll move off the psychology topic a little bit you can go deep into that shit on, on all that shit this is interesting stuff just why people think the way they do and why people act the way they do for sure it's always interesting i want to sorry i'm gonna yeah, ask good. you as a as a coach that's around really high level people do you tend to see with the the the, the mma athletes the jujitsu athletes that you've been around yourself sean do you tend to see certain characteristics that tend to be consistent and and not not necessarily physical but mental like how people perceive difficulty or how they deal with they, they have a shitty practice or they get beat up or they get submitted do do the ones that rise to the top do you see them consistently showing similar, similar patterns? Does it vary? I mean, yeah, I think it just varies so much. Like, I remember back in the day when I'd get beat up in sparring, I'd be so emotional and I'd be like, I'm going to get beat up. My, just thinking in my mind, I'm going to get beat up in my fight. If I'm, if I'm sparring that shitty, I'm going to fucking go out and fight shitty. And then I remember seeing Benson Henderson and then Crouch telling me, he's like, Benson, there was a fight camp, fight camps where he would get, beat the fuck up every round and it was terrible fight games get injured get beat up every round but he, after he would be completely like emotionless he, he would just look at practice like a champion and then he'd go in, out in his fight and have his best performance um so consistently yeah i don't i think 
It's hard. I, I don't think so. It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. But the main thing is just keep coming back. Yeah, keep going. Consistency. What What about this question? If you were now fighting. You turn that mic a little bit. If there. you were fighting now, how would you be different? I mean, I know you still compete in jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. but let's just say you're you're gonna you're going back into full fighting. Yeah, you're you got a you got a UFC fight, and you're now older. You have more experience. You've coached. Mm-hmm. Like, what aspects of you as a fighter do you think would be different? Not physically, but mentally. Yeah, I mean, phys- physically would be working with you. That yep. would that would change. That would have changed my whole like whole career i I guarantee i know it would but mentally learning just learning um just being able to be present more yeah and know that these practices aren't what matter Mm -hmm. the only thing that fucking matters is that day that i show up and i give my max effort in that 15 minutes Mm -hmm. because before if i had bad practice it would fuck fuck with me all day if i had bad sparring it would fuck with me the whole it would almost ruin my day I would think about fighting so much and it almost it would just almost burn me out. It wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So just learning to be in the moment a little bit more, learn to know what I know what I'm gonna give good effort and practice, whatever happens, happens. And then the fifteen minutes of that fight, that's what matters. Yeah. That's what fucking matters. So yeah. just being able to be present more. Yeah. And and knowing the tools to do that. Yeah. I think I I think that's, I agree. I think that's something that you, that's a skill you, the earlier you pick that up, the better, mm-hmm. the more you can welcome struggle and it's opportunity. You get beat up in practice. Actually, that's probably good. That means you're growing. Like if you're dominating every practice, probably not hard enough. Mm-hmm. And rather than pushed shit that's uncomfortable, push emotions, fear, uh, insecurity whatever whatever pops up is like push it away you more welcome it open to it mm-hmm. you know i think that is a as somebody that you know has been around a little bit a little bit longer now like i tend to that's if i'm working with anyone i'm trying to get them to welcome uncomfortable stuff just let it be mm-hmm. all emotion is you know it's good mm-hmm. sadness is good fear is good we all have it welcome it and then fucking grow right and then just get better and keep showing up and keep working. Yeah, it's fucking good. Okay, this was a question from uh, some guy here. Hey, Tim, I have a quick question. Maybe you'd want to answer on this one Red Hawk recap. I wanted to ask you about good meals to eat in between sessions when you train in the morning and then at night. I know it's good to get carbs in after the first session, but if you could give me an example or two, how you refuel for the second session, that would be awesome. Um. So I sent that question to Dan Garner. He's the, he's the, he's a man when it comes to that kind of stuff. And let's hear what he said here, boys. My man Timbo, what's going on? All right, dude. When you're having a meal in between two sessions, it's crucial to properly fuel your body. If you've got two intense workouts, let's use the the example of one BJJ session. Then you're going to have a meal. Then you're going to move into a strength and conditioning session. These are two glycogen depleting events and it's actually ideal for you to have a balanced meal in between these two workouts. You don't want to overemphasize anything because you do want to replenish glycogen stores with carbohydrates. You do want to support muscle repair with your protein, but then you're going to need a small amount of healthy fats in there for sustained energy and to help stabilize your blood sugar in between these two events because it's a lot of hours of ongoing activity. So for sustained energy, repair, growth, 
maintain society and maintain energy, I think a chicken and quinoa salad is actually a great option for athletes to use. And it can be as simple as one cup of cooked quinoa, four ounces of grilled chicken breast, about a handful of mixed greens, and half an avocado. You throw that in there, it's going to be absolutely delicious, and you're actually checking all the boxes for immediate energy needs from all of your macronutrients, but it's coming in the form of foods that are very dense in micronutrients as well. So the important points of B vitamins, magnesium, electrolytes, things that were lost in the first session are now also going to be restored and ready to rock for the second section session, not just from your supplements, but also from your meal. So if you can get something like that in between sessions, sessions and make sure you have plenty of water with it as well to make up for that hydration debt you are going to be rocking and rolling and going into that second session feeling way better than if you did something else well there you have it a little quinoa action i remember my always favorite thing would do i would always do this like oat bran bowl the oat bran is like i think it's just i don't know if it's just blended up oats I don't know if it makes it easier to digest or what. I'd do that in a little pan with a little almond butter, a little bit of berries, a little bit of honey. And that always would all, about an hour and a half, any, a little window, two hours to an hour and a half before practice was perfect. Then I'd go into practice and I'd feel like it was completely digested. I feel like the blood was flowing to my muscles instead of flowing to my stomach trying to digest that food. I'd always feel good off that. But uh, Garner knows his shit, so that's probably better. <laughs> What did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast this morning? I did not eat breakfast. I was up early, um, which you know, for me, it kind of depends on my morning, where I'm at. And then I had, I did a, a protein shake a little bit later when I got to work. Um, coconut milk, protein, and then I had... What kind of protein you been doing? I used the... Um, thorn? Thorn. Got thorn. And then I had a little, uh, some chicken breast, um, a little Havarti cheese, and like a lettuce wrap. Damn, so you got it fucking dialed. Yeah, so for me, that's like super easy and quick. When I'm in a bind, I'll just buy good quality meat and then do some cheese. Havarti cheese, I tend to gravitate, and I'll just wrap it in lettuce. So it probably would be better to do like a full salad, but... It was one of those where I wasn't prepared, so that's a good. I always have that in my refrigerator at work. And you like sipping on because you start your when you do your coffee. Do you do it bulletproof? I, I have in the past. I don't anymore. I make I use the Kimex. I'll do a pour over, and typically I'm using just layered the the layered creamer. So that's got it's got. I think it's coconut milk. It's got the mushrooms, all the good shit. Yeah, I love that. What I have been doing recently that. I feel makes a difference is I do an element. So I, I hydrate like right away. Like I'll hydrate in the morning first thing and then have my coffee. I feel like if I slam one of those element hydration packs, I just, I feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This morning we, we, I went on a little run. There's that, that little park we measured right, right across the hall. I mean, right across the street from my house, it's about 0.33 miles. Yeah. 0.33 miles. And uh, JX says he could bear crawl that no problem. And I tend to disagree. Are you guys so, going to do that? Yeah, we're going to do it for a vlog. Yeah. Uh, one, it'll be part of one of my vlogs and he's going to bear crawl it. And every time he gets around it to the finish line without standing up once, he'll get a hundred dollars. <laughs> so go around it 10 times. You get a thousand bucks, bud. Rent's paid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I'll do it easy, bud. All right. <laughs> he has no clue how hard that's going to be. Let's see. 
So that'll be good. I, I think he can do it. But it, it is going to be hard. <laughs> I don't know. His little muscles are going to give I'll put a freaking out. weight vest on, too. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jay's an athlete. What do you weigh, 150? Well, like 145 tops. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If anybody could do it, it's Jay. He might be able to. He's going to surprise me if he can. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, Navalism. We'll give you a little Navalism here. See what your thoughts on this are, Brandon. The overeducated overeducated are worse off than the undereducated having traded common sense for the illusion of knowledge mm. yeah there is the, i mean think of this when i when i hear that what i think of is this idea of like illusion of story or a delusion of story where because the conditioning of our society like how we frame success and how we frame somebody that is intelligent like we tend to see the person that is educated they went to a, a prestigious university that person then believes that bullshit not to say they can't be intelligent but there is this delusion of who they are that they'll tend to not be open to anything else yeah, because they're they're educated. Yeah, so you you see that in people that are really successful financially as well. That they because that because of the way society views success and their success fits into that model, they tend to be horrible at actually listening to other people and still picking up shit. Yeah, because they got it right. They made it. If they, you don't have a Lambo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's um. Okay, here's a here's a here's something I try to live by. It is wisdom which is seeking for wisdom. So how I perceive that statement is that if you are open to if you are looking for knowledge, that is that is wisdom. So the person that is open to continue to learn, that's the wise person. So for me as a if I'm looking for a coach, I want somebody that doesn't tell me they have the answers that tells me they have a perspective that they believe can can drive me in a good direction and i get to make the decision for myself how i'm sure you see that so much with strength conditioning coaches and people that come from they get a degree from the college and they're like no that's not what the professor told me yeah in my college and you don't have a degree i bet you see that a lot in that in yeah, every yeah. field. I mean, and go back to you made a statement about the phone and social media. It, it, The guru gets more hits. The guy that makes the, or the person that makes these absolute statements that I have the answer for you. Here's, you know, three steps to whatever. Build bigger muscles, get lean, become a better in jujitsu. Like that, that clickbaity thing draws people in. I think about this a lot because that's not my nature. So it's, I think why people are drawn to that is people want answers. They don't want to think for themselves. But again, the, 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 per, you could be, you could have a double PhD and still be open to learning. When you close yourself off, you miss everything, right? Like almost like, uh, say liver King, like yeah, he said, like, like I've got the answer. He's a salesperson. He's a marketer. He might be very knowledgeable I, you know i don't know i don't i try not to get pulled down that direction but again it works socially it works digitally right and you know what great again i just think there's this going back to that statement it's like the person that buys into their own bullshit 
they don't listen to anybody else. They think they know it all. Like you're you're stuck. Now you're fucked. You know, I mean, you know how much I've learned from you? And not just in, just because I'm open to watching you do what you do or Jay or anyone. Like mm-hmm. as a, a, again, I think as a, as a human that, that is trying to cultivate curiosity, we pay attention and we listen and we're open to everything. Yeah. And that's where I think like uh, religions have it. They dialed it in the perfect way to be like, don't be open to everything. Mm. If if you open yourself up to everything, Satan will creep himself right in there. It's control. Yeah, complete control to where it's like, I, I, I told my mom, I'm like, you're, mom, you're super like brainwashed. And she's like, what's wrong with a clean brain? I said, well, that's true. Mm. But yeah completely closing it off to being like, hmm, I'm going to maybe see, I'm going to take, just take a peek at this religion. I'm not going to be a part of this religion. I'm going to take a peek at it. They, 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 that's closed off. There's a wall there. And if you go past that wall a little bit, that's Satan. That's Satan. Mm. It's just closed. I'm like, damn. So religion's got it figured out Yeah, to shut that open-mindedness down. Yeah. It's just be a blind follower. Don't question. We should question everything. Like that should be our, our, a principle question everything. And, you know, look for smart people to provide uh, perspective, to provide answers, but question that, mm-hmm. like as a human, like, you know, question everything. And then, you know, you, you're open to everything. That's good. Good good advice is just question everything. Do research for yourself and find out your own little opinion there. You've heard, if you, if you guys are probably see, have you seen like Bruce Lee talk about, you know, empty your cup. Mm-hmm. He's talking about like a cup that's over. It's that's that's the you know emptiness. An empty mind is a mind. A cup that's not overflowing is a cup that can accept new information. Mm-hmm. That's you know I think we I think you have to have awareness of that, and then with awareness you start to become more open. You start to pay attention more. You learn so much more when you're not closed off. Yeah, and I and and then part of me wonders like, even with re, even with religions or even. I guess even the government sometimes when they try to make mushrooms and weed illegal, the mushrooms and weed, they almost like open up a different path in your mind to look at things a completely different way. Mm -hmm. And I know religions want to shut that down. They don't want you looking at shit any different way. They want you to shut. And if that messes with your brain a little bit, and then same with the, even the government, they don't want you looking at shit different way. They want you to listen. You be a robot. You be a part of the system. Mm -hmm. Go get your education and just, just listen and just be a fucking robot. Yeah. But then the mushrooms, you t- you smoke a little bit of weed and you're like, whoa. You look at something with a completely different perspective. Yeah, that's good. Can be good. Yeah, it sure. can be, I guess. So we'll go we'll go into some to some shit Jay sent me here. Some some, <laughs> some dumb shit. Johnny Depp all donates all of Amber Heard's $1 million settlement to charity. Well, that's good. Former President Donald Trump is now under arrest and booked on federal charges. Trump has pleaded not guilty to 37 charges brought against him. Wow. You guys are getting political on so this he's in the, he, So he's in, he's, in the, he's in the pen? Tim likes Trump. No. 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 He Remember? Being, he got he's cleared. been indicted. Yeah. Indicted? That, what does that mean? Dude, again, don't. So don't quote me on this, but that I believe there's they're they're stating there's enough evidence to take him to court. Like that's an indictment. Okay. And so there are there is 
clear evidence that he can be could be prosecuted oh. i believe so he was placed under arrest by a deputy u.s marshal and is booked and his booking process and that of his aide co-defendant uh, completed the marshals are expected to take electronic copies of his finger fingerprints at some point during today's proceedings they are not expected to take a mugshot of trump given his recognizability donald trump has pleaded not guilty to 37 charges trump's lawyers asked for a jury trial during the former president's arraignment tuesday at a federal courthouse in miami we must we most certainly enter a plea of not guilty trump's attorney said told the judge so he asked for a jury trial so how do they decide if they're going to have a, do a jury trial don't no clue mm-hmm. yeah but that was smart of him should have done that when you got your speeding tickets g i want a jury <laughs> i want to fuck your jury imagine <laughs> uh but that was smart of him because who knows what the what the judge judge thinks about that shit. He's such a high profile dude. Having a jury, probably yeah. the jury's going to come together for imagine. 37, 37 counts of shit though. Holy fuck. No, imagine everything passes, like he clears, and then he's president again. <laughs> well, what's the other option? Sleepy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Sleepy Joe. You don't follow much politics at all, do you? I, I try to pay attention enough that I'm not completely ignorant, but then not get so wrapped up into it. Mm-hmm. It's, to me, it's very frustrating. Yeah, for for that for for politics and shit to affect your emotions, mm. it's like what's the fucking point? You see these old farts that watch the TV. Like even sometimes my dad posting shit on Facebook, you tell he's just fired up about. It. I'm like, why are you gonna let that mm-hmm. fucking control your emotions? Yeah, I'll go back to the idea of question everything. I mean, man, people buy into some crazy shit just because it's it's fitting their narrative. You know, it's yeah. There's a lot of complexity there that I just I choose not to get too deep into it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Jorge Masvidal says his highest payday in the UFC was five million. That sounds that sounds pretty right. Yeah, I would say five million. Did that when. Win and or show and win, or you think that's just a like the flat to probably show win in his pay per view cut. So everything, mm-hmm. yep. Okay, here we go. Men really go through it. It's embarrassing so. moment. Go nine and forty seconds. Shake my head. Most embarrassing. Most moment. embarrassing sex moment. Go nine and forty <laughs> seconds. Shake my head. She didn't even know. I just pulled out and said, "Nah, you're not ready for this," and got dressed. <laughs> That's pretty good. Is that? What about you? Uh, most embarrassing sex moment. The guy said he started fucking her and he nutted. And then he's like, nah, you're not ready for this dick. And then he uh, pulled his pants. That's good. <laughs> I remember Joe Riggs would tell me he, he when he'd bust, he would he would be pumping and he'd bust. And he'd, he'd pretend he'd throw his back out. Like, my back. <laughs> he's like, I'm sorry, I can't. My back's fucked up. Oh, my God. So that's a good What about one. you, though? What's your most embarrassing? Besides that one when you were in the bathroom? When I was folding my wiener and that girl, maybe that was kind of embarrassing. Oh. Uh, there's been some embarrassing ones, though. Like maybe when I was having sex with that girl, we're juniors in high school. Her dad starts walking down the stairs. In her room, there's her room. And then you go in front of the stairs to the living room. And some way, somehow we made it to the living room or the downstairs living room, whatever. And we're both butt naked. And we're juniors in high school. And then you could see on the couch. We're both butt naked on the couch. And then you could see on the stairs his da- her dad walking down walking down and i just like i almost like panic so i roll onto the floor and i grab this xbox game and i'm just sitting there waiting for this guy to just explode 
And she says, Dad, stop. And his feet stop. And then they walk back up. And I'm like, holy fuck, that was close. See my little wing, little wiener fucking saggy condom hanging off of it? <laughs> That's a red hook. So it's beat my ass. <laughs> fuck. Another embarrassing time. Another embarrassing time. I was having uh, intercourse with this girl. and um, Intercourse? <laughs> we turned on the lights, and it was like a fucking someone got killed. Oh, there was shit. blood on the pillows. There was blood on the walls. There was blood, blood on the, like on my, fi- like everywhere. <sighs> and we turned on the lights, and she was so embarrassed. I'm like, no, it's okay. It doesn't bother me. Oh <laughs> I was trying God. to make her feel good, but I was like, it was so gnarly. I think she didn't know she was on her period or something. And and it's dark in that room. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's hear another one here. What about you, Brandon? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking as I'm trying to listen, I'm thinking the the one that comes up to my mind, it wasn't sex. It was, I was a, I was a teenager and I had bought condoms because I wanted to jack in them. Yeah. I wanted to learn how they worked <laughs> and I did that and I flushed it down the toilet and I flooded the bathroom and my stepdad, you know, who's a great man and look up to, he, you know, later he like, he thought I was having sex in the house. And he you know, pulled me aside and giving me that talk. And I was just, and I, you know, just told him, I just, I don't even think I could get it out. I think he knew that I was so embarrassed, but I was like, I didn't do it. I didn't have sex in the house. I just <laughs> used the condom and flushed Jack. it down the toilet, <laughs> but flooded the bathroom. So yeah, you, you flush those condoms down the toilet. They'll fucking, they'll come up That's later. True, Cause how did you learn how to use a condom, Tim? I remember getting a condom and sliding that puppy on. I'm like, wow, this feels good. But you just knew how to put it on? You just put it on? I fucked with it a little bit, and then it's <laughs> fo- and then I was like, oh, no, you flip it around this way, and it slides on. Did you ever jack in a condom? Never. You never did? I never did that. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I did that. It was great. Then you got to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. You, you Can you go back to when you first realized that you could jack off? Oh yeah, and can you th- for you if you go back to that? Did you just do it all the time as a kid? Well, it was weird for me. I'd like hump my pillow a little bit, <laughs> and I'm like, "Wow, that feels good." I'm gonna touch that fucking little thing, and I went like this. <laughs> I didn't know to grab it. Yeah, yeah. I would just go with it like this with my forefinger. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, that's I thought that's how you jack." So you may so think about being a parent of a teenage boy that first figures that out, and then. Fucking every chance you get, you're just, you're just yanking. You know, so you're finding. I don't know. I'd fucking use socks. I'd go. You know, mm-hmm. there'd be t- toilet paper. Like I, my, my parents had to know. Yeah, any fucking hole you, you just, see, you're just like, I'm gonna fuck it. Just think about that. You just know your te- your teenage boy is now at that age, and they're just figuring it out, and you're just like, all right, like just you know, you pray for the best at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, or just talk to them. Say, just do it privately. Make yeah. sure you don't bust in a girl. Yep. I, I hope I, I'm. I hope I'm good at communicating to my kids. I, I think I will be, but we'll see. Who knows how those kids turn out? Well, Jay and I were talking about it yesterday, like how hard it is just to say no to people. The art of saying no, and in reading these leadership books, how important it is to be able to communicate to your employees, to people, and not rub them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like you put it away to where the message gets across but you still respect them. You're not mad at them or anything. Are you pretty good at saying no to things? No, but I've gotten better. For me, I go back to that idea of don't, don't take anything personal. And if, and if somebody else doesn't embrace that, if that's not one of their principles, that's not my problem. That's what helps me is that 
I'm going to try to be honest. I'm going to try to be upfront. I'm never going to come from a bad place. And I think hopefully people see that in me. Therefore, if I give somebody feedback and they can't accept it or see it, that's that's not on me. Mm-hmm. Hard to do. It's not my nature, but I do feel like I've gotten better at it. You go, like, have you read the book, The Four Agreements? I feel like that's a book you've read. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, don't I'll, take I'll, don't take anything personal. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, you're not responsible for other people's emotions. As principles, that has helped me. It's hard. This isn't again my nature. I'm a, I'm by nature a, a pleaser, a, but I feel like that perspective and that awareness of that has helped me. That if if you know me and you know I'm coming from a good place, if I say something that that offends you or upsets you, that's you know it's that's you. You're reacting. You're emotionally reacting what I say. You know me well enough that you would talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, again, because they they push away difficulty. You go back to what we we talked about a long time ago. It's like push it away. That's on them. Mm-hmm. It's not my fault. Yeah, yeah. Saying no to shit. I mean, like, so it's like it's such a powerful thing. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to get better at saying no because so many opportunities are coming up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, especially as a coach, like as a coach, you ke- people get offended if you say they're doing something, but I try to just be blamed. Be like, I not going to lie to you. I could bullshit you. Mm. I could bullshit you and just say something, but it's not going to make you better. It's not going to make you aware of what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Having a coach who's honest with you is good too. Yeah. That, that person learns to not take it personal. That could be one of the most powerful steps in their career. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but then there is some coaches that'll, you can't just like be so whatever my coach is. I've seen some coaches say things to athletes and I'm like, why the fuck would you say that? Mm-hmm. They look up to you and respect you a lot. That could affect their whole career. Right. Like, why would you say that? So taking things, taking things from coaches that are good and yeah. just ignoring shit, the bad, the bad shit that they, they do or the shit that annoys you. Mm-hmm. No coach is going to just be fucking perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There's an art of communication. There's an art of, of having a vision for in the example of coaching having a vision for the individual and then steering them right mm-hmm. again man that's one of the things that i've i've admired about you is seeing your relationship with sean and seeing and how you are with other people and just i, I think you're very good at making people feel good and confident while also challenging them to be better i think you're a really good coach and I'm, I'm assuming that's natural to you, but you've also worked at it. You're reading these books, you know, you're cultivating that. Fuck. Thanks. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking tough. What are you going to say, Jay? No, I was just going to ask uh, Brandon if like how he's working with Sean, do you plan on working with like more guys? Is that your goal or you just MMA? Yeah. We work with several athletes. Yeah, I mean, like MLB I mean, guys. I have a lot of baseball guys in the off season. I, I mean, I've cut, you know, kind of a cool career in that, I've had a lot of different high-level people, different sports. I I really enjoy MMA because it's so complex. Um, and I see – the more I'm around it, the more I see gaps in that I do, I do think most people probably just overtrain. There's this huge gap in just everything, and they're just beat up constantly. And so there's, there's this opportunity to help people. Um, I just, I, for me, it'd be like taking on the right people, you know? So 
Um, and it's cool, like Bryce Meredith, like who you know you guys know, who's a is a really good athlete. He's coming up in the sport, um, but I would love to work with other people. It's just a matter of it being the right fit. Yeah, I mean, God, all the people I care like truly care about, especially f- fighters that are getting to that level. My God, I wish there was more of you because I think it's it's rare. Strength conditioning coaches, so many of them work guys, work these guys so hard. When our hard works a lot in the room, every single workout I've had with you, I've, I feel like we did a lot of work, but it's not like beating down on my joints. Like everything's just so different when it's training with you. Mm-hmm. But it's like, fuck, you're only one guy. Are, do you do you train other trainers? Yeah, I mean, I have a staff of eight people, um, and I have worked with people as uh, like an apprentice type ship or an internship i want to be able to do more of that i have to create that content and i've got to create those models i resist that because of my mentality that there is no right but you have to have something you know so so i definitely have aspirations of creating um uh workshops and, and creating digital content that can help people with that perspective I mean, it's, I was talking to somebody yesterday about it. It's like, so think of your, your ring, your aura ring or your whoop and this idea of readiness. What is it doing? It's trying to quantify how ready you are to grow, to train. Right. And I think that technology does a decent job, but there's still holes in it, but you're aware of it. Your readiness is low. So the other day you were, your readiness was down. You didn't feel good. So imagine if you would have went into strength conditioning you wouldn't have told me and I would have still had this perspective that we're grinding. fucking grind today. And our program is, it's a heavy lift day. It's a max effort day, but you're, you're beat up. Your nervous system is, is fatigued. You have, you have global fatigue. You're very, you're more likely to get hurt. And that's, that's what I see everywhere. It's not just an MMA, but it, but it, MMA is so fucking hard on the body. So I think it's just this perspective in strength conditioning that that because it's MMA and it's hard that it, it just has to be these crazy, you know, glycolytic circuits that and then I think people just are more prone to getting injured. Mm-hmm. And in that same respect, you have different bodies, you have different humans. Different bodies and I look at shape, like the structure of a body is going to be better at doing different things. And you have to take that into account. So if you bucket everybody into the same bucket, you, you know, I just think you're, you're likely to get people hurt. And then you don't know, like you never know. Is it because of strength and conditioning? Is it because of their diet? There's a lot of complexity in that. But I think in general, when you look at the sport, people are overtraining. So as I tell you, it's like Suge in this example, MMA is his thing. He it's he's not a he, strength and conditioning is not a sport. Strength and conditioning should be complementing it. it. Should be it should be supplementing and enhancing his ability to show up for you and get better. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean getting stronger and becoming more explosive and becoming faster isn't important. It is, but there's a fuck there. It's way more nuanced than that. It's it, there's a lot of risk in loading a body, especially in a bad position, and that's subjective. And then 
they go out and they get hurt in their sport like that what doesn't do that that's not the goal you know so so yeah it's a, it's interesting sport yeah for sure I so think, i think they're more like guidelines and like that's why i like rick rubin's book because it's not like hey do it this way it's mm-hmm. like they're just guidelines mantra thoughts and just kind of take it as you please mm-hmm. yeah i like his i like his i have his his new book i'm not through it yet but yeah, i too. like his way of thinking yeah i mean to me you go back go back to like flow and like as an artist or as a producer dude like to me that guy is a great example of mm-hmm. of that you know there isn't an, he's an interesting dude man he seems like he's cultivated a lot of awareness and yeah. stillness in his life and yeah i look up to that hell yeah so we're a little over an hour now uh hope you guys enjoyed the podcast uh what's your instagram again higher human at okay. higher human and i think there's a double underscore i don't know if that matters I think, if you, if you, I'll yeah. put the link in the description. Okay, yeah. we'll put the link in the description. Give Brandon a follow. And then if you guys want to support uh, patreon.com slash Redhawk Academy, years of content up there. Uh, and I really try to get back to everyone on there, and I try to do a lot of stuff on the Patreon. So if you enjoy it, if not, hit the sub button. We're yeah. almost to 50,000. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're almost to 50,000. Still fucking going at it. I want to so. give, you, give you a little plug back to your newsletter. Really yeah. well done. Oh, so you yeah. guys, if you haven't subscribed to that, hit that up because I like that, man. I I like that. Check it in on you every week, and even though I know what you got going on, it's cool to see. It's a good you're do, you're doing a really good job, like keeping it simple and summarizing some good shit. So hell yeah, fuck yeah, thank you, bro. All right, guys, see you next week. Love you. Bye bye. Peace.